Hi, this is Mark Wallstrom, your host for Speaking of Justice, a featured broadcast on the Legal Broadcast Network and a show that looks into every single week uh, the most pressing or the most interesting cases of the week. And uh, I think we really got one for you uh, this week. On uh, Tuesday, January 19th, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court announced that it was going to uh, hear a challenge to President Obama's decision to overhaul the nation's immigration rules. Uh, as we all know, immigration has been an incredibly contentious, you know, volatile issue for not just uh, this last few months, the last few years, but for decades. In November 2014, uh, the president issued an executive order, and he created a program called the Deferred Action for Parents of Americans and Lawful Permanent Residents, also known by an acronym called DAPA, D-A-P-A. And that uh, executive order uh, would have allowed as many as 5 million illegal immigrants who were parents of citizens or legal permanent residents to apply for a program that would provide them with work permits and prevent them from being deported. Well, backdrop on this is, uh, you know, soon after it was uh, announced and rolled out, a group of 26 states uh, led by Texas uh, filed a lawsuit accusing the president of not following proper procedures when making the rule change and primarily an abuse of power when he sidestepped Congress with his executive action. So this decision uh, follows a U.S. District uh, Court decision in Brownsville, Texas in February 2015 where there was a preliminary injunction approved that closed down DAPA, and the government appealed it on November of 2015, and a three-judge panel, the U.S. Appeals Court and the Fifth Circuit of New Orleans, upheld that lower court. So here we are now. The Supreme Court has agreed, as of this Tuesday, to take the case and hear it. But they're also going to look at not just the technical issues and some of the legal issues as to you know uh, whether to overturn the injunction and allow it to go forward, but this is now going to become a very interesting constitutional case. So... Our guest today is uh, attorney uh, Kerry Bretz uh, of the New York firm of Bretz & Coven. They are experts and specialists in immigration law. Uh, he has uh, got the highest ratings from virtually every you know, legal evaluation service, Martin Del Hubble, Avo. And attorney Bretz has also been at the forefront of a lot of significant cases uh, that are tried against the INS. He's a former INS uh, trial attorney, uh, has a tremendous amount of experience, and we think is going to provide a uh, really valuable perspective on this. So, Look forward to having him, and just after the break, we will uh, have Attorney Bretz uh, joining us on the line, and we're going to get into and talk about what exactly has gone on, what this means, what the implications are for people who are hoping that this uh, program goes through, as well as the opponents of it, and and also constitutional scholars. It's a very, very interesting case, but uh, even though it's it's interesting on a broad scale, we have to remember that it impacts individuals, families, people all over the United States who are here and want to become U.S. citizens. So we're going to talk about that. So be right back and be joined by attorney Kerry Bretz. Okay, well, we're back and uh, joining us on the line now is attorney uh, Kerry Bretz from uh, the firm uh, Bretz & Coven uh, located in New York. Attorney Bretz is a frequent guest commentator on network and cable news uh, on issues of immigration law. And, uh, Kerry, appreciate you joining us uh, today. Sure, my pleasure. Well, uh, Kerry, we had a uh, very interesting uh, Supreme Court decision pop up on Tuesday, uh, January 19th. Uh, the Supreme Court agreed to hear and consider a legal challenge to President Obama's overhaul of uh, immigration via his executive order back in 2014. Uh, but they also agreed to examine, you know, kind of the reach of presidential power as it regards these actions and orders. 
So what I want to kind of do with our audience first is if you could take just a little minute, uh, a few minutes, and let's explain to the audience what the key issues are in the president's executive order so that listeners can understand where this originates from. Right. So what the president did is he is using his executive uh, authority to uh, offer deferred action, uh, and deferred action uh, to a certain group of, of people. Uh, previously, he had done it for childhood arrivals. He's expanded that category uh, of childhood arrivals to include a, a greater group of people uh, as long as they came here before they were 16 and either have high school or, or military. Um, th- that's one group, but the second group is parents of uh, children who are either uh, citizens or residents. And basically, uh, deferred action is an administrative grace. It's been around for a long time in immigration, and it gives immigration, ICE, the prosecutors, uh, the discretion to say, listen, we're just not going to enforce a removal order against this particular person. So what, uh, what the president did is he just made a broad group of people with certain criteria and said, I'm going to decide that these folks should be granted uh, deferred action. And with deferred action, mm-hmm. all they get is a work authorization. It's not okay. a it's, it's it's not a right to avoid eventual deportation or or to eventually become a, a resident or a citizen. It's just saying for now we're going to focus our uh, enforcement priorities somewhere else. And since we're not going to enforce them against you, mm-hmm. you can get a work authorization while all that's in play. Okay, great. All right, so uh, fast forward, that was, uh, I believe, November of 2014. Uh, it goes to uh, challenge uh, down in Texas, and then February of 2015, U.S. District Court, you know, gives a preliminary injunction. Then November of 2015, uh, three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals in uh, New Orleans upholds the lower court. So we, we come to this week's decision, the, the case is United States versus Texas, um, so what did SCOTUS agree to consider this week, and what makes this such an important decision, uh, or a potentially important decision, I should say, as regards immigration, but also they are also touching on a larger constitutional uh, issue on separation of powers, aren't they? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The, the addition of the, uh, of the shall, shall take care clause uh, mm-hmm. and requesting briefing on that, is a little worrisome to to people who are advocates of what the president just did. It's okay. probably not a very good sign. Um, but uh, it was raised in the district court, and it wasn't addressed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So it could be that the Supremes just want to make sure that they have all the issues in front of them. And there is there is a doctrine that says that if they can decide the case without getting to the constitutional issue, that they should. So we don't really know what, what it's going to mean until there's the the oral argument and uh, until there's a decision. It, it may not mean anything. They they may still uh, decide this case without getting to the constitutional issue. Yeah. Uh, and, and that re- it kind of brings, you just brought up an interesting point, which it, it does appear that the administration, the Solicitor General, you know, did want to keep this very narrow and not, you know, bring in those uh, other collateral constitutional issues. Uh, but as you, as you confirmed, I mean, the court kind of rebuffed that. So kind of given the makeup of the court and the arguments presented by both sides, um, re- really let's kind of get to what, what is the heart of the issue that they're going to be deciding here? So let's kind of strip away the constitutional issue and kind of go back to the core of this. Uh, what what are they being asked to decide uh, by the you know the state of Texas, which is of course you know uh, the lead for 
what was it, 30 other states, I guess, or 26 other states? Uh, I think the, w- without getting into the legal issues, just looking at the practicality of this is whether yeah. or not uh, the president uh, overstepped his boundaries by mm-hmm. offering the deferred action to such a great group of people, thousands and thousands of people. Sure. Um, and it's just the size of this that I think brought such such a reaction. Right. Um, in in practicality, uh, at the same time that he announced this uh, executive action, he also announced priorities for removal. And the priorities for removal haven't been challenged, and they still remain the same. So all these folks that would be in in the group of DAPA and DACA people still are not going to be enforcement priorities and still are not in a risk of being removed. The only question is, can they get a benefit because they're not in that category? I see. And and you bring up an interesting point. And, and really what I want to kind of do now is transition it to, you know, the stuff that you see every day. And, you know, everybody looks at this on uh, the, the, you know, 10,000 foot basis. As we know, it's a huge campaign issue uh, and it's being, you know, I think demagogue to death on both sides. But let's talk about the practical impact for immigrants, for those looking to stay in the U.S. and obtain permanent status and citizenship. I mean, you're talking about deferred action, but you also bring up this idea of, you know, what are the enforcement priorities? I mean, what what is the INS doing? What is actually happening on the ground? And and what do people who are trying to stay in the United States, what do they need to know? What, what do they need to be worried about or concerned about? And, uh, uh, you know, what are their next steps here? This is a great question. And, and the practicality of this is that it really doesn't affect anybody because mm. um, the published priorities are still in, in play. And basically there's three priorities for removal. The first two require some kind of criminal history. And the last one, uh, the, the third priority refers to people who came here uh, on or after 2014. Mm-hmm. If you're not in those three priorities, if you're not in those three priorities, then you're not a target for enforcement. Um, So that hasn't changed, and that's not going to change. The only difference is that a lot of the folks who are not in those three priorities would fall in the category of the expanded DACA and the DAPA programs, and uh, they're missing out on on the work authorization which with the work authorization, you can get a social security number, you can get a state ID, you can get a driver's license. So they're missing out on that. But it doesn't mean that we're going to go back to the days of the Bush administration, essentially, where, um, you know, if you were deportable and you came into contact with ICE, you got arrested, mm-hmm. detained, and, and prosecuted for deportation. The, the removal priorities still exist, and they're not being challenged at all. Okay. And and as, as we kind of, you know, uh begin to wrap this up just a little bit, but it's it's kind of fascinating to me. What, you know, again, you, you're in this every single day. You talk to people all the time. You're you're in front of judges. You see the reality of it. And as we mentioned again, you know, it's, it's a very politicized uh, issue that tends to be, you know, waved as a red herring on many, many issues. But what what is the biggest misconception currently about the immigration, uh, not the debate, but the, the reality of immigration law that is occurring, you know, I think there's this mythology that we have tons of people in the United States who are here illegally uh, committing tons of crimes who are not deportable or we don't even know where they are. I mean, what's what's your experience? Uh, You know, you're in a major city and there's tons of people coming in and out of there. I've lived in, uh, if you can't tell by my accent, I've lived in New York my whole life. (laughs) And and, and over, over the last 
50 some odd years, you see these amazing immigrant communities pop up and Mm -hmm. uh, they're so vibrant and they have uh, an economy happening with with jobs. You know, it's immigrants that start some of these smaller businesses. It's immigrants that do all kinds of jobs that, you know, uh, when I was a kid, maybe, you know, middle class kids would do that that they don't do anymore because they don't work Mm -hmm. until they graduate college. Um, So uh, the misconception is that they're here and they're hurting the economy. They're taxing the public services and they're, you know, they're they're all bad boys and girls committing all kinds of crimes. And that's really not the reality at all. Most of the immigrants who are here today, uh, although they often come from countries that were not traditional European countries or that, that, mm-hmm. that have been here, they're all hardworking people, hardworking yeah. family people. Yeah. And, uh, so, so where do you, um, uh, what, what are the next steps on this? We'll wrap it up with this. So, uh, Supreme Court uh, agrees to hear this. Uh, they'll, you know, uh, probably be decided what late spring, early summer. Um, you know, if if they overturn this, what would the implications, practical implications, be for people who are here and are you know looking to stay here? I mean, what would the practical implication be on this uh, on this decision if it's overturned? Right. So, uh, if the Supremes find that uh, the executive action uh, was uh, constitutional and was okay to do, then. Uh, Basically, a group of people who wouldn't be targeted for deportation anyhow will have uh, an opportunity to apply for a work authorization. That's really it. It's it's not that big a deal. Um, and but but that work authorization for somebody who is here trying to make a living, open 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 a bank account, get a driver's license, that work authorization is very helpful. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, hey, Carrie, uh, I know you're extremely busy. We appreciate you taking the time today and uh, joining us. And as this uh, goes through and we get to the decision process, I uh, hope we can have you back on again. Great. My pleasure. Well, uh, great interview and a, a fascinating topic, one that we know is at the forefront of most of the presidential campaigns. I mean, this is a big, big issue. Immigration is huge. Uh, you know, we have uh, presidential candidates that uh, a main part of their platform is building a wall and uh, keeping people out. And also this idea that uh, there needs to be freeze on certain people uh, coming into the United States, uh, people who are here illegally being deported and removed. But uh, as we all know, there are practical implications, there are legal implications, and uh, really appreciate uh, Carrie Brett's taking the time to discuss these, go over them, and uh, hopefully, uh, be- you know, better frame the issues and give people an opportunity to think about it, uh, and also understand what the Supreme Court is considering. It's a big case, and uh, it will have far-reaching implications, uh, particularly on this whole issue of presidential orders. And, uh, you know, the, the constitutional, constitutional separation of uh, powers and when that power is overstepped. So, uh, intriguing case, great guest. Uh, we hope to have him back, uh, as this uh, goes through the, uh, through the legal system. And as always, we encourage you to give us uh, your comments, your ideas. We are right on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, you can come to our pages at Sequence Media. You can go to Speaking of Justice, Legal Broadcast Network. Uh, we're easy to find. Uh, love to know your thoughts on this. Uh, as always, you can find this audio on SoundCloud and iTunes, uh, as well as a, a, a written commentary uh, that we will put on the Legal Broadcast Network main news feed. 
So uh, look forward to having you back again next week. Uh, we've got some great guests lined up this year. I mean, we are going to be hitting every single major topic and major story as we go forward. And if you want to be a guest or if you have somebody who you suggest would be a really good uh, guest commentator or uh, a legal analyst on these topics, uh, have them contact me at the uh, Sequence Media Studios. It's just mark at sequencemg.com. Uh, send me an email, uh, you know, uh, just uh, present them, bring them down, and we will uh, uh, try to get them on the air. Uh, we are right now broadcasting once a week. We'd like to expand to uh, twice a week on top of our, of course, our daily news and uh, regular features that we provide for all of our clients. Again, this is all brought to you by the Legal Broadcast Network. It's uh, the nation's premier uh, legal broadcasting platform for attorneys. Uh, we do uh, original news, uh, commentary. And we also put together uh, for our trial lawyers and attorneys all over the United States, I think some of the best uh, paid content uh, packages uh, that you can imagine. So check out our page. Uh, get to know us. Uh, we hope you enjoy this and find it beneficial. Till then, uh, next week, uh, this is Mark Walsh from your host uh, saying uh, have a good afternoon or good morning or good night, whatever time it is when you're listening to this, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.